2: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart,
1: racing's regular guy. And thanks for listening in on another broadcast of Winning Ponies. Hope that you had a winning week. I know that uh, we gave out uh, quite a few winners some nice prices off the website, so make sure that you go there for your Easy Win forms. Uh, today we've got uh, two uh, different guests: a uh, one-horse trainer, one track announcer. Uh, the horse trainer is a guy that had a lot of eyes on him on Breeders' Cup Day, and that is William Buff Bradley, the trainer of Groupie Doll, and what a roller coaster two weeks he has had! Uh, He saw her go on to win the Grade 2, Grade uh, 1, Breeders' Cup, uh, Philly and Mare Sprint, a million dollar race in impressive fashion. And then he saw her go through the sales ring at Keeneland for $3.1 million. This is a horse that he personally folded out of her mother on his, uh, farm in Frankfort, Kentucky, so that was kind of tough, but the, the story has a happy ending, and uh, I'm going to save that for when we talk to Buff Bradley, an outstanding horseman and just a wonderful person to be around. The, uh, the, the sights of uh, the many, many well-wishers at, at Keeneland was truly a touching thing uh, last week. Uh, then we're going to have a gentleman by the name of Jason Beam. Uh, he's the track announcer out in Portland Meadows, a cute little track that I got a chance to Visit uh, with my son Jake about a year ago, and Jason was so gracious to us. Uh, I got to know Jason when he was a track announcer at River Downs in Cincinnati for a while. He's also going to be a new author of a book by the name of Southbound that's going to be coming out right around Christmas time. So we'll talk about that. But it's also big day at Portland Meadows. It's time to bring out the organ breads and. Uh, we'll put together those fields as, uh, Dan Ilman pointed out on his Twitter last night. He, uh, played a pretty, uh, modest, I believe it was a pick four from Portland Meadows. And, uh, Came home with a really nice price, even though there aren't any huge, big prices in there. Uh, They only have a 14% uh, takeout on that wager. Uh, Well, a gentleman that we've had on the airwaves here before on Winning Ponies, uh, Paul Moran, uh, he passed away this week at 67, and what a marvelous, marvelous writer Uh, he was. uh, He was an Eclipse Award-winning writer. Uh, He retired just a couple years ago and decided to move up to Saratoga, where he uh, passed away uh, from uh, lung cancer. I mean, the way he wrote was just an absolute... of beauty. His artful prose, his keen opinions on racing issues, his cutting wit. Um, he had some political views, too, he wasn't afraid to talk about. But, uh, he did win a Media Eclipse Award for a piece in the Daily Racing Forum columnist Joe Hirsch, and five years later he won another eclipse for writing on Go For Juan's catastrophic injury uh, during the stretch of the Breeders' Cup distaff. So uh, Paul Moran will truly be missed by the other scribes out there in racing. Well, again, we're going to get to the groupie doll story a little bit later on. Uh, you probably know the result, but uh, I'm going to save that. Uh, the horse did, again, go for $3.1 million. Went to Mandy Pope. You may recall last year she bought a little horse by the name of Arve de Grasse for $10 million. So quite a broodmare band she is uh, putting together. Uh, from there... We we'll look at some more sales news, and uh, the Keeneland sale just going through the roof uh, in the first five days. I believe they passed the entire total for for last year, and uh, an increase of a twenty five percent just day after day. Uh, Cumulatively, and this was as of the fifth day, uh, they had sold 170 million dollars worth of horse flesh, and the uh, median was 40 percent jump from last year. So the sale certainly uh, towards the top end, very very strong. One of the horses that was sold for 2.1 million was Eble Santé, who was a half sister to Horse of the Year Zenyatta and it looks like she's going back to training with John Sheriffs uh, who had her uh she looked very promising breaking her maiden first time out she came back with an allowance win but then she went to Saratoga and was This wooden load in the gate, terrible. She broke off awkwardly and just didn't do anything on the East Coast. So she's back with John Sheriff's. We'll see how Zenyatta's little sister does. Now, uh, last week we did report that uh, Calvin Burrell was injured. We thought that he might be back. But, you know, he's kind of taken a a look back and saying, you know, I think I'm just going to take the rest of 2013 off. The weather doesn't get any better. So, uh, they confirmed that they're going to remain out of the saddle through the end of the year and return to competition when the Oaklawn meet starts uh, January 10th. They'll probably be obviously working horses between then. He did uh, uh, suffer a fractured fibula in a spill at uh, Keeneland late in the meet, which caused him to miss his uh, Breeders' Cup uh, mounts. Of course, uh, Calvin is now 47 years old and has been inducted into the Hall of Fame. And you'll recall that he won the 2007 Derby with Street Sense, 2009 with Mind That Bird, and 2010 with Super Saver. Uh, quite uh, a feat, winning it three out of four years. Now, Gary Stevens, who looks so good, on mucho macho man, he is paying forward uh, Two days after winning the Breeders' Cup Classic, a bored mucho macho man, uh, he pledged a portion of his purse winnings to a Texas thoroughbred charity uh, seeking to treat injured racehorses. It's called Remember Me Rescue, and uh, Gary gave $5,000 to the horse charity. He tried to do it anonymously, but the uh, charity said, you know what, Gary? That's awful nice that you don't want to take the credit, but it's really good that when people like you make a donation, we get to tell people and inspires other people to uh, to give to their horse charity. So uh, hats off to Gary Stevens. What a class act he is all the way around. And uh, speaking of Gary Stevens, he and Mike Smith are going to lead the U.S. team for the Longines International Jockey Championship that's coming up. They'll be... Uh, uh, joining their peers from around the globe, um, among them the, the three-time British champion uh, Ryan Moore, uh, five-time champion uh, Christophe Soumillon of France, and uh, 13-time champion Doug White and Jorge Moreiro from the Hong Kong circuit. So we wish uh, Gary nothing but the best and. Also, Mike Smith, so good luck to, to the u s guys over there. Uh, we did get some uh, some tough news today that Tura Lure, a grade one winning millionaire, was uh, euthanized after a breakdown today uh, at Keeneland, uh, trained by Chuck Lapresti, who also uh, trains Wise Dan, potentially the horse of the year. It was very, very tough on him. Tura Lure has won tw- six of 26 starts, including the grade one Woodbine Mile. Um, she just missed in the Breeders' Cup last year by a nose to Court Vision. So our thoughts uh, go go out for her. They did get her to Ruden Riddle, but they just said that the uh, the injury was just uh, too serious. Well, uh, Javier Castellano, good news, bad news. Uh, he started out with uh, six wins at Aqueduct the other day, and uh, actually lost the mount on the favorite in the feature but still managed to win six races uh... at uh, aqueduct and then on wednesday he got some not so good news uh... he was unseated at the conc- conclusion of a race and had to go to the hospital uh, he was complaining of pain but now they say that uh... he will just take today off and should be back on his mounts next week of course uh... Castellano has just risen in the ranks so much. He was the nation's leading rider in terms of both victories and purses earned. I had twice ridden five winners this year in New York, on July 13th at Belmont Park, and on September 2nd at Saratoga. So he does plan a return on Friday, so we'll certainly be uh, rooting him back. Another jockey you may not know of uh, reached an amazing milestone, and that's British jockey T- Tony McCoy, actually from Ireland, celebrated his 40,000th career win. Well, that career win came over the jumps, and they had a party over there at a small uh, meet in central England at uh, Towcester, it's called, and the owner of the horse immediately offered to buy a drink for everybody at Towcester to toast the 39-year-old McCoy's landmark. And uh, what they say is it was free admission that day, and there were still about 4,000 people there when he offered to buy drinks. So I sure one will not have J.P. McManus's uh, uh, tab over there in in England. And then McCoy, when he was done, he uh, headed straight to the town of Marlborough in Southwest England, where he owns a pub. Uh, to celebrate with his family. So uh, toast to Mr. McCoy and his 4,000th uh, uh, victory. Well, again, we uh, want to take a look at a few of the races uh, that, uh, that came up last week. Uh, it was less than a week after Jim Rome's uh, misdirection on the uh, turf sprint at, uh, at Santa Anita. And he came uh, right back with a horse by the name of Shared Belief, uh, taking the Hollywood Preview Stakes, a $100,000 race. This is a two-year-old son of Candy Ride, so it's good to have somebody uh, that's in the limelight like Jim Rome getting involved in the sport, and it looks like this horse may be around for a while. Uh, down at uh, Churchill Downs, it was the Cardinal Handicap, grade three on the turf, and it was the fifth stable, Abaco, Overcoming with a strong late run took home the Cardinal handicap at Churchill Downs who are up and racing now this time of the year. Also another uh, result was uh, Intimate Romani in the Grade 3 Long Island handicap at Aqueduct uh, racing on the turf course. It was only a uh, kind of good $200,000 race. Chris DiCarlo getting the job done there in New York. Um, in breeding news, Marketing Mix has been retired to uh, Glen Hill farm. Uh, marketing mix, uh, a daughter of Magdalia D'Oro, a very hot stud, uh, is going to be bred next year. They're going to give her the time off. She won the uh, 2013 Gamely Stakes, which is a grade one, as well as uh, Santa Anita's Rodeo Drive, another grade one turf race. So she'll be bred next year. And speaking of Ms. Direction, uh, she was uh, purchased recently at Keeneland. Looks like she's going overseas and will be bred to Group 1 winner Al Kazim. So, Ms. Direction, we'll see uh, how she transfers her speed to the grass over in Europe. Also, uh, recently retired was Grade 2 winner Fast Bullet, a uh, son of the very speedy Speedstown. He was pretty fast himself, comes from a nice female family. Um, his uh, dam is a half-sister to Eclipse champs, champion and Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies winner, Brave Raj. Also uh, on the retiring ranks, Alternation, a uh, son of distorted humor, will go to Josephine Albu- uh, Albuquerque's Pin Oak Farm. Uh, standing for only $7,500. That's alternation. Well, it's uh, time to uh, change gears here. Uh, We are going to take a quick break here on Winning Ponies. And when we come back, we're going to be back with one of the real good guys in the game, trainer Buff Bradley. Well,
3: I walk into the room Passing out hundred dollar bills And it kills and it thrills Like the horns on my Silverado grill
0: Your internet flagship station for sports Voice America Sports
2: And they're off What? What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the Easy Win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting edge research and community programs to help more moms have full term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com.
3: The opening
1: kickoff is a beauty. All right, and with me, one of the real good guys of the game, uh, a gentleman uh, that uh, just exudes uh, class, and uh, from what I saw at Keenan last week, uh, has, has more friends than the President of the United States, and that's one William Buff Bradley. Buff, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Thank you, Tom. All right, well, uh, Buff, uh, most people obviously from the recent headlines will, will know you as, as the trainer of uh, uh, champion groupie doll. Certainly, I, I think her authoritative victory in the Breeders' Cup Philly Mayor Sprint may, may stamp her a champion again. I want to rewind the clock a little bit and remind people that uh, Buff was also the trainer of the outstanding runner, a Brass Hat, we was able to keep together to win over two million dollars, but what I want people to know is that uh buff uh he's not coming off uh Coolmore or godolphin farm uh this is uh, these two sensational horses were home grown products and uh if I can wind the clock back a little bit buff can uh, you you shared with me at the sale uh, the other day kind of the, your dad's purchase of the farm and, and how you guys put your own blood sweat and tears in that would you would you share that with our audience as to far ours, how everything started for for your family
3: sure my dad bought the farm back in nineteen sixty seven and uh we began uh we moved out there in nineteen seventy two and uh we just started Doing everything ourselves, actually we, the horses was, uh, probably secondary at the time. However, that's why we had the farm. But we had cattle to work and tobacco to put in and hay to put in and corn to put in. And we did a lot of fencing and, and until we could finally get the horses as a main part of the farm. But it took several years and, uh, I went to, um, uh, after college I went and worked for Clarence Picou. Um, for almost five years as his assistant and um very good horseman and my dad said when I left, he said, Well you gotta go with somebody good and I, I did and you know, a lot of clearance as well. But um my father really just when we when I got back and started training, uh he bought a few mares and, and a couple of mares that um that we bought together were uh brass hats dam. And then we came back a year or two later and bought Grippy Dolls, Dan. So we were very fortunate that we were able to get, get those mares for a very small price.
1: Well, obviously, uh, your father's a pretty good judge of, of, of horse flesh. But from what I understand, he not only knew about horses, he knew about Kentucky politics.
3: Yeah, he was in the Senate for almost 20 years um, in the Kentucky State Senate and um he he did about everything he was in the national guard and uh so he liked to fly jets and all that good stuff but uh, you know his his main love was the horses and uh he was a lawyer uh for many years, and he said the only reason he did that is so he could have enough money to to play with the horses and uh he had a long term plan and uh he fulfilled it for sure i mean just uh, getting Doing everything he did to, uh, you know, we did a lot of the work ourselves so we could afford it, and putting the fence up ourselves, cutting the posts to to uh, put in the ground to build the fences. So,
1: and uh, what, what seems to be amazing to to, to me, Bob, I think you, you told me that normally you, you probably only got about uh, between fourteen and twenty mares on the barn, and which will produce maybe uh, ten foals. Uh, those are pretty modest numbers, and you did that with pretty modest breeding. Uh, how can you explain catching lightning in a bottle twice like that off a farm and a breeding program that you have?
3: Yeah, well, yeah, we have. Um, uh, I think now we're we're down to about ten mares, and, and you'd probably get probably sell two more. I think the eight is the number that we're kind of looking at now, and we've had up to fourteen or fifteen at one time. Um, you know, I don't. I really don't know. We got we got very lucky, but I think we looked for stock that um, were strong racehorses, and we didn't didn't do major research on them. We just we went for horses that we liked, and when we breed, that's what we do as well is look for for stallions that we knew that were solid racehorses, and um, that's what we want to you know. It's not like we're trying to breed the best to get the best. We're we're trying to breed good solid racehorses to. Um, you know, have decent, decent enough allowance horses to race uh, around. You know, the Midwest.
1: Well, uh, Groupie Dow uh, by uh, now deceased uh, Bowman's Band, a uh, Deputy Dow, a uh, silver deputy, uh, to talk about how hands on you were. Your hands were literally on her as you pulled her out of Deputy Dow.
3: Yes, and and we we knew at that time that uh, she was. Uh, she, when she stood up, she looked pretty special and, and we don't know if she's a grade one winner or record setter or championship, but, uh, we did know that, uh, we were wanting a good filly. The mare was getting older. In fact, that was her last foal. So, um, we were really happy that we had a nice filly uh, to, to, you know, bring up and race. And, and we said then that we would keep her for a brood mare. But that didn't happen.
1: <laughs> well, uh, those things kind of got out of your control, as I recall. Last week, he even told me that e- even your son looked at Groupie Doll when she was uh, shortly after being cleaned up from falling, and said, "Hey, Dad, we might have another brass hat on our hands."
3: Yeah, he's he known for saying that, and I, and I I don't know exactly if it was for her, but he was, you know, we you know, he put it all in perspective when when. Um, he was down there helping foe foal, and he would just say, you know, he'd say, you never know, it could be another brass hat. <laughs> and I, I said, well, he kind of put it in perspective right then, you know, and uh, saying that because, you, you know, that's why you do it. You you hope for uh, one of that caliber, but, you know, it, it's a joy just to see him if you, you breed him and raise him uh, to, to even win a maiden claiming race. It's, it's still a, a lot of fun.
1: Well, uh, let us talk a little bit about Groupie Dow. I, as I recall from our conversation, you said she, she was just pretty smart and kind of knew what she was supposed to do all the way along from the time you broke her till you got her to the races.
3: Yeah, she's always um, shown her class, and just she, she's pure class. Her mother was that way. That was one of our reasons for wanting to keep her, and, uh love the breeding on her mother and and uh, really like to see those classy type fillies come around and and when they do
1: that they usually know how to run a little bit well um you uh she had uh, two races uh I'm going back to February and March at Gulfstream Park um where she, she ran third, one of the few times she didn't run first or second, and you made that decision to put blinkers on uh, for, for the Madison, and it sure looks like uh, that was pretty much a, a great call. Well, I
3: think she was, uh,
1: you know, we had thought about the blinkers
3: before, but she wasn't ever doing anything wrong. Um, Rajiv, the first time he walked, worked her, was uh, raised her, was down at um, Gulfstream, and she really breezed well he came back to the barn and that's the only time he'd ever been on her and he goes this is my breeder's cup horse i'm gonna win the breeder's cup on her and i kind (laughs) of kind of laughed i mean he didn't know it at the time but i thought well heck she's not even nominated to the breeder's cup if she's going to be nominated it costs fifty thousand dollars so i knew that she better do some winning before before we could do that and um
1: she sure did.
3: And uh, I, I tell you, he wrote her the next time, and <clears throat> she was third. And he said, you know, I really think she needs the blinkers. And I said, well, with him saying that, we were going to go on and do it because we had thought about it quite a bit anyhow. And um, and then the next time was the binary, which she won. So after the next two races, we knew that she put enough money in the kitty that we could nominate her for the Breeders' Cup.
1: Well, an, an unbelievable decision after that third-place finish with the blinkers on. She won the Grade 1 Madison, the Grade 1 Humana Distaff. Uh, she likes press, uh, press guile She does pretty well there, uh, set a track record uh, prior to her run in the Thoroughbred Club of America. And you said something to me. You know, again, I told you, some people, when she came up third in that race, were scratching their head or maybe were, were somewhat doubters because uh, she uh, – uh, just didn't, didn't fire that day. But I think what you told me was is that, that you and Rajiv kind of went into the game with a little bit more of a slightly different game plan as far as her pacing herself. And if anything, it may have been a tightener for the Breeders' Cup.
3: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I was really blaming myself after that race because uh, I asked Rajiv to, uh, it was only six furlongs, and I said, you know, we really need to get her into to have a action early. Um as Keenan was favoring speed. So we did. It didn't work out, but it may not have worked out if he had come from off of it. He, he may have been third anyhow, and everybody would have been blaming the jock again, saying, you know, he, he didn't move soon enough. But um, no, that was our plan, and, and I said, well, we'll live by that. And looks like that, uh, yeah, when we got to the Breeders' Cup, she was a little sharper, and especially in the first eighth of a mile. So I uh, well, maybe that
1: uh, maybe that motivated her a little bit and got her got her going a little earlier. Well, it, it was it was just a fantastic win, and, and you you and Groupie uh, have such a, have such a fan base. Uh, now, the last time we spoke, uh, it was kind of pulling at the heartstrings. You were watching her go through the sales ring. Um, what did you think when the gavel went down at three point one million dollars?
3: well I mean the money's the money's great and and it helps but it it was very hard to do. It was hard for quite a while i mean when we made a decision, it was hard to do, knowing that um but but we knew that you know to to keep moving forward in this business, you know when you have something that marketable that uh that's probably your best option um she i was you know i was uh happy that uh then it was 3.1. Um, within five seconds, I knew it was Mandy Pope, and I was excited then. Right. There was uh, a lot of um, a lot of talk of other people buying her, and we were kind of worried about that. We really wanted her to stay close and stay stay here in the state of Kentucky. Uh, but then, you know, once I found that out, it, immediately, as soon as the press got done talking with her, I went over and, and talked to her for a few minutes and, and met her and just gave her a card and said, Look, I, you know, if you need to know anything about her, I'd be glad to, to let her know and help her out. We did not talk about her future at that moment. Uh, it was maybe 20 minutes later she had called me back to the barn. <laughs> and really? I was still uh, talking with my dad and partners in the sales ring, so I went back and, and we discussed her future then.
1: That, that had to be an amazing moment. Can, can I ask uh, what part of the conversation was was like? Uh, she, she's saying, would you be kind enough to train her for me? I mean, how did it go? Well, it, it was really good. Mandy's a, a very nice lady, very easy to talk
3: to. Um, she obviously loves horses. Uh, she bought her, and, and she explained to me that she bought her for breeding, and I said, well, that's what I assumed. Um, she she asked me what my plans would have been if I'd kept the Philly mayor and I said well I probably would have at least run her in the cigar mile uh, posing that she came out of uh, the Breeders' Cup well uh, I didn't see any any signs that she didn't come out well so I said we, we probably would have gone to the cigar mile and, and then probably put her up for the year so she said okay and we talked a bit more and, and said, "Well, if if I decided to race her, would would you train her?" I said, "Absolutely." And I said, "I'd, I'd love to." And so we we got to that point, and she said, "Well, I'm going to have her checked out and do a few things, and I'll call you later." And and she did. And uh, uh, myself and the exercise rider Jada and and the groom Matt, we
1: jumped in the truck the next day and took off for Belmont Park. <laughs> I was going to ask you uh, because uh, you know watching Jada and, and Matt and they, they, you could tell the mixed emotions that they had back at the sale uh, that had to just crack an amazing smile across their face.
3: Yeah, they were pretty excited, and and the whole time knowing that she was going to be sold, they were very they've been very attached to this mare. But uh, when when they you know they knew she was going to be sold, they they supported me 100%, and my, my old team did. You know, everybody that works in my stable knew that this is what what I needed to do, even though it was going to be hard for everybody. So when, when they realized that we were going to get another shot with her, um, they were pretty excited. They were pumped and ready to go.
1: Well, from what I understand is uh, you're not going to be alone out there uh, in New York, they say there's some pretty nice horses along the lines of the golden sense that are 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 looking looking towards that race uh, i won't keep you much longer, but just tell me what's your schedule going to be like uh, leading up to the cigar
3: okay well, yeah, I have heard that it's the field's probably going to be about eight horses they they're saying at this time of course we 're two weeks away, a little over two weeks away, so anything can change but um, pretty pretty strong connections coming in uh, in this field. You know we're we think we're on top of our game right now, so we we'll take a shot at those guys, you know, and and, and try them out. Uh, we'll pro- we're going to breeze her Saturday an easy half, and come back uh, probably next Saturday or Sunday, and uh, it might be Sunday, and we uh, breeze her another half and and go into the race that way. Uh, I'm I'm going to go back to Kentucky for a couple days uh, after she breezes. Uh, for each breeze and and um check on my stable there.
1: Well, if it wasn't for a dirty nose, you would have beat Stay Thirsty in the uh, Grade 1 cigar mile uh, last year. So we know that certainly she can uh, handle the strip at Aqueduct. And uh, all I can say is, uh, you know, uh, it was such a pleasure to to have you with us on Winning Ponies. And, Buff, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. And we we wish you nothing but the best. And we'll all be watching in the cigar. And who knows? I heard it's been hinted that uh, should she do well there, she might even stay in training longer. That's been uh, whispered about in the press. But either way, uh, all of us wish you nothing but the best, Buff.
3: Well, John, thank you so much. I appreciate it being on the show. All right, okay,
1: that was Buff Bradley, the trainer of Groupie Dow. We'll be watching to see how the rest of the story comes out. So I appreciate Buff Bradley being with us, and we're going to take a little break here, and we will be back with the voice of Portland Meadows, Jason Beam. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
3: Output Out hundred dollar bills and it kills and it thrills like the horns on my Silverado grill. And I buy the bar double round the crown, and everybody's getting down.
1: your internet flagship station for sports.
0: Voice America Sports.
2: And they're off. What?
1: All right, and with me right now, a gentleman I call a friend because I got to work with him years ago when he called... Races back at little old River Downs. His name is Jason Beam. He's now uh, the voice at Portland Meadows, of course, up in Portland, Oregon. Uh, he's, he's from the Northwest. Uh, grew up going to the races at Long Acres with, with, with his dad. Uh, he outgrew his dreams of becoming a jockey. But he's been a lifelong handicapper. Uh, worked at Emerald Downs in 2004. Worked as a turf writer and a media assistant. Uh, he started at the River back in uh, 2006. And then uh, he got offered the job closer to home, back at Portland Meadows, and he went back there. As I stated earlier uh, in the show, it was a little over a year ago, uh, I took my son Jake up to meet Jason. He was a, a fantastic uh, uh, tour guide for us and a, and a great race caller and a cute little track. We're talking to Jason Beam from Portland Meadows. Jason, how you doing? God, I'm doing good. It's good to be on with you this evening. Uh, it's great to hear your your voice again. Well, again, I kind of painted with a broad brush uh, you, you, your entrance into racing. What details did I leave out?
0: Uh, you kind of got it pretty well. I mean, like, like I said, we uh, I, I grew up like two minutes from from Old Law Acres uh, in downtown Renton, Washington, which is like it's basically halfway between Seattle and Tacoma, uh, and it was just the the most gorgeous track. You know, similar to River Downs, uh, where you and I both worked you know, very uh kind of pastoral feeling, even though it was right in the middle of the city. And uh you know, they had these great tall poplar trees that I mean they had to have been, you know, eighty or a hundred feet tall and they they would border around the turn, so you kinda of felt like you were inside a little stadium there. And it was kinda of separated from the freeway and the rest of the world. But uh, you know, a lot of memories of that track and I uh you know got away from racing for a number of years when I was in high school and college, you know, playing baseball and chasing girls and all that kind of fun stuff. And, uh <laughs> My, uh, my dad got sick. He had, uh, skin cancer. Uh, and so when he was ill, I would go home on the weekends and he, the only thing he wanted to do was go to the races. And so, uh, I kind of got back into it, you know, during his illness. And, uh, you know, he, he passed away on a Tuesday. We had been at the track the previous Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, uh, you know, that and baseball were kind of our two bonds. And, you know, after he passed away, I just kind of kept going to the track. It was, it was in some ways kind of a way, I think, to keep his memory alive. And in some ways, you know, I just liked it, so uh I kind of kept at it, and I went to law school for a year, and I hated it, and so I dropped out and uh went to work at Emerald Downs and got to meet Robert Giller, the announcer there. He was an amazing race caller and a nicer guy, and uh just started practicing up there on the roof when we didn't have anything going on. Uh, I got lucky. The people of Portland let me call a race one day, and then their guy was sick, so I got to do a whole day's worth, and I made an audition tape and got hired uh, by by a Jackson Essie in the River Downs, and halfway through my first year at River, got hired to Portland so for three years I did the back and forth six months each place and uh, finally decided to uh, just stay in one part of the country uh, in 2008.
1: Now uh, you also up there don't you host a uh, a weekly radio show? We do a weekly show on Saturday mornings we call it the winning
0: ticket the uh, we're on one of the local radio channels here from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific time. And, uh, you know, kind of similar to what you do here. You know, usually we'll, usually we try to focus, you know, uh, one one local guest, one national guest. Uh, you know, last week we had Vic Stoffer from Hollywood Park to talk about, you know, the final meet there. And, uh, you know, we, we definitely try to mix it up between... You know, talking local racing, but, you know, to fill an hour with local racing sometimes, uh, you know, we're a small claiming track and there's not a ton of stakes action going on. So, uh, it's good, I
1: think, to keep folks surprised at what's going on around the country as well. Absolutely, and that's what we like to do here on Winning Ponies. I try to bring a, a different perspective, maybe teach them a little something about the sport, about how horses maybe go through the sales. I'd like to talk to trainers on different methods they have. Of course, every now and then I get lucky to get a top guy like uh like Buff Bradley, who just came off a Breeders' Cup win and and, and sold the love of his life for three point one million dollars, and then, and goes back to his stable and finds the salt the horse still sitting there. Turns out he's going to train her. You know, there's so many great stories about this. Obviously, everybody wants to handicap and, and get a winner, and that, that is, you know, a good portion of the show. But, but I'd like to, uh, to, to bring about other parts of the sport that I, I do think uh, enhance uh, our listeners' and, and players' uh, appreciation for the game at the races.
0: Well, it just goes so much beyond the races themselves you know this week with uh, Oregon Championship Day here at Portland Meadows you know which we're going to talk about later uh, one of the things I did for the website was each day just kind of did a feature article about a horse and so I would go back to the barns every morning and you know, talk to the trainer, and and the really neat thing is, no matter what level of racing you're at, I mean, you're talking about Groupie Doll, Amazing Horse, you know, even here, you know, where horses are 2,500 claimers, some of them, they each have a really, really unique story, And, and, and most of them have an odd journey that kind of got him to this place. You know, I talked to a trainer today who, you know, he had a horse that it was what he has a two horse stable and this one horse that he'd had for a while it had a condylar fracture, had to do a surgery, you know, all this stuff for a horse that's going to run for $2,000 claiming tags before and after the surgery, you know, uh, and, and the horse kind of came back and has, has won like five out of 12 starts and, you know, so I mean, it's really neat. There, there's great stories in racing at every level. I think, you know, Gary Stevens, I think, has been the best story in racing this year. Yeah, you know, and he's a guy that started out here he's our 1982 83 jockey champion at Portland Meadows you know just to there you know,
1: where a guy can go you know from from 1982 to you know 25 30 years later well i i love your attitude and i'm with you and that's why i like to i like to shine the light on on, on t- different tracks i mean obviously so, so many of the east coast west coast tracks are going to have their big days and those are going to be the races that we're going to end up handicapping but i love to introduce people uh to, to folks like yourself that have a passion for the game and as you said you can have that passion at, at any level well you know it's uh, a couple of weeks ago in ohio we had the best of ohio races and this is going to kind of be uh the week for the homebreds in, in portland to shine so i think it's kind of cool uh again you know you might not see any of these horses in grade one races, but as Dan Ilman said on a tweet last night, Portland Meadows gives you some really good values in some of their uh, races, such as the pick fours and pick fives, and he says you, you can have a blend of favorites in there and still come away with a $360 ticket, so uh, I'm, I'm going to try to do that while I pick your brain on uh, several of the, the stakes races that you're going to have. I've selected five of them, and we'll see how we can uh, spin through those in the, the next oh, uh, 10, 12 minutes or so. Um, uh, starting out with, uh, you, you have to really be challenged, because one of the toughest things I think to do in the world is to call a quarter horse race, and your first race is, is going to be the Baxter Andrus Oregon bred Futurity Trials, and what's interesting is, is this is absolutely a rematch of the Futurities in that all the winners, or the top horses in both the boys and girls, Futurities Preps at Prairie Meadows are in here. You won't be able to separate these horses with a cigarette wrapper.
0: Well, you know, and with quarter horse racing, you know, similar to kind of harness racing, you know, there's those were the trials a few weeks ago, and now this is the final. So, you know, with only two trials, uh, you know, you're going to get the top four or five from each race. And uh, you know, the big standout performance of those trials was the number two thinking of girls who, uh, is seven to two on the morning line. And, uh, you know, she, he, he was a horse who, one thing with quarter horse racing here in the Northwest, the fair races, are just as tough as here at the, uh, Portland Meadows, which is the big track in the state. You know, with the thoroughbreds, that's not the case. But with the quarter horses, you know, we saw it last week at Los Alamitos, a horse that was running up at Emerald Pounds won the Bank of America Challenge Championship, grade one at in Los Alamitos. You know, the separation between... Quarter horse in the Northwest. They're, we have good quarter horse racing here. And uh, thinking of girls as a horse who was second in a couple of big races behind Eagle Be God is one of the top quarter horses uh, in the state of Oregon this year. So uh, it was kind of his coming out party in the trial last time and he earned a, a really good quarter horse speed figure. I'm a PrisNet player and his PrisNet his number was uh, about you know, nine higher than pretty much everybody else in the field. So, uh, I think he, he it's the Trail Ronald is a long time Northwest quarter horse guy. I think this race kind of goes around thinking of girls. However, the inside for quarter horse racing here at Portland Meadows has never proven to be the best place to be. So, it, it's certainly, uh, it's an interesting racing that it presents a couple of challenges for who I think is the best horse.
1: Well, as I was doing my, my, uh, Oregon homework, uh, looking at the young horses, Uh, what what I see is uh, you you have your your Mr. Prospector in uh, Harbor the Gold, and you have an up-and-comer kid that just, by the way, won a race called the Kentucky Derby, and that would be the first crop of grindstone. We're going to see a lot of those on Sunday.
0: Yeah, I think grindstone, I I think it's six out of the 13 horses in the two-year-old races are grindstones. Uh, I was actually out at uh, Oakhurst Thoroughbreds where he stands at uh, just on Wednesday. I got to to meet and hang out with grindstone, and uh, he's 20 years old now, and it was pretty interesting because he carries himself still like a young stud. I mean, he... He knows he's the boss, and he knows he's the reason people come out to the farm there. Uh, you know, just a real cocky, you know, study kind of horse, and uh, it was pretty neat to see him. And, you know, their entire farm out there is, is just loaded with grindstone babies, and they all look alike. I mean, they are all to a T, you know, a dark bay dark color that don't have a lot of face paint on them. And, uh, you know, Jack Root, who, who owns them, he said, he goes... He goes, "I have to microchip these horses because they all just keep coming out looking the exact same, but they all look really good too
1: so. <laughs> well again, this being his first crop uh to to race out there in oregon uh so there's unraced two year olds but let's just look at the uh the Janet Weinberg uh it sure looks like jet set kitten uh, is going to be the the Philly to beat in there makes her debut um in in a stakes race and just uh one as, as she pleased though the running line does say ducked in late
0: well, and uh, the running line is significant, i think john this is you know there there's a number of going to be big favorites on this card. You know, with state racing, you tend to get that a lot. This is the one I thought was most vulnerable. And, and when the horse ducked in, what happened was Labor Day was our biggest day of the year here, and we have really succeeded with getting some massive crowds out here on our big days, you know, thousands of people, and it's kind of a small area there. Well, the minute she got to where the crowd was, she started flipping out. I mean, she ducked in, she ducked out. I thought, I honestly thought she was going to unseat the rider uh at the finish line you, you know you look at the, i remember looking at the wind pictures and the rider just looked terrified because you know <laughs> she was kind of going it out she didn't have a very tough trip that day it was a pretty weak field and there's the first timer in here i think could have a little bit of upside and so and that's the number one dreamstone cowgirl her mom won fast cowgirl won the janet weinberg stakes in her debut i believe back in 2004 or 2005 wow. I mean, going what a great years. angle but there's some family history, uh, for this race. You know, trained by Cookie Root. One fast cowgirl was bred by the roots. Uh, and her last workout I thought was really good. Cookie Root's not outstanding first time out. Uh, but I do think this horse is working a little bit better and has a little bit more of a, of a base than uh, some of her firsters might. And I just thought, I, I mean, Jet Set Kitten is going to be a deserving favorite.
1: I just thought of all the big favorites, she might be the most vulnerable. Well, speaking of big favorites, we, we move on to, uh, the, the Bill Weinberg, uh, which will be going, uh, six furlongs. Uh, this is the, the boys division, and this is one of those races, uh, there's four grindstones in there, but it's a Harbor the Gold that looks to be the huge favorite here on the bottom. Morning line odds at two to five, you don't see that every day. I think that's the lowest odds we've had since I've
0: been here on the horse, the morning line. In fact, it was kind of my doing. I was talking to our racing secretary, Jerry Coles, who sets the morning line and he said, What do you think on this horse? Four to five, three to five? I said, Jerry, the horse is gonna be one to nine <laughs> but I set up for the line, I said, You'd probably make him two to five and so he did it. But uh Maddie's gold I think you know, unlike Jets a kitten has has a lot more experience. He's had a couple of goofy trips, you know, last time in the Winnipeg Futurity, which is a fifty thousand dollar race at a Downs, he found himself on the lead for the first time pretty early, so he didn't have a target to run at. His trainer said he goofed around a little bit down the stretch. It was a you know a race that was in the evening, so the lights were on. He said he was kinda, you know, having some trouble with that. But that being said, the the speed figures this horse has put up, you know, he's showing Brisnet numbers of eighty seven in his last start eighty two, eighty two. Uh those are way higher than most two-year-olds that win races here. Uh, those are way higher than two-year-olds that win stakes races here. Uh, this is a horse I'm really, really, really excited to see because uh, I've heard he's been working great in the morning and he just He's a he's a fast two year old to have here in Oregon, so I think he's the kind of horse that could go to Golden Gate or to Turf Paradise and compete in states races there. So uh, I, w- I wouldn't uh, touch anybody else in this race. The only other horse I might give a little you know credence to is the number five Stony River. Uh, his older brother Cant Chaco, who we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, he won this race last year as a first time starter. So uh, and this Cant uh, woman, the mare, she's actually thrown two horses before Stony River,
1: both of them won their debuts. So uh, certainly bred to win early that five. I wish Great info. This is why we're talking to Jason Beam from Portland Meadows. Who would have this information for our winning ponies listeners but him? So, uh, so those were the four, five, six in a row. Then as far as the stakes are concerned, there's a little bit of a break. Uh, we come back, uh, in, in the ninth race it is the Lethal Grande Sprint Championship Handicap. And, uh, looks like uh, we've got uh, another uh, rematch here. The horse is coming out of that allowance race, uh, on November 3rd. Third, um, they uh, finished awful close to each other, and that would be a Calypso noted and a Maddie's gold touch. And finishing fourth, only a length and three-quarters back, was Promiscuous Lad. You're there, you're watching them. Any trouble or anybody get a, 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 a could get a better trip today than they did out of that race? You know, that when we talked about that race on our radio show when it was coming up, I had
0: said, this is, I really think this is going to be a big prep for, you know, the Lethal Grande sprint, which it has. Uh, Calypso noted it's kind of tough luck. She's a three-year-old filly, and she, her races just aren't filling at her level for her age up here, you know. And, and so she's had to go against the boys a few times this year. And she's fared extremely well. I mean, she was just barely beaten. I thought she was going to win the last race, and Minus Gold Touch came and dabbed her. You know, she kind of did a lot of the early work there last week, her and Promiscuous Lad. Uh, they kind of dueled, and she kind of went on with it a little bit the last 16th before Minus Gold Touch came and picked them both up. And Minus, I thought, got kind of a garden trip. I mean, he really just sat right off those two's hip uh, and came and got them. Uh, I haven't been thrilled with Minus Gold Touch's races here this year. He had a bad summer up in a Downs. Downs. I mean, he was getting beat. And this is the horse who won this race last year. And you see his Portland Meadows record. He's 10 for 23. So he clearly loves it here. But I'm just not seeing as much from him this year. Uh, I thought Promiscuous Lad coming back here for the first time was actually pretty good. One thing about our track at Portland Meadows, it's a sand track. It's built for winter racing. And it's very thick and tiring. And Horses, their first start here, a lot of times will be a little bit short. Uh, just, you know, for running, especially if they're coming from Emerald Downs, which is such a fast, you know, not tiring track. And for, for a horse like Promiscuous Lad to have shown pace and have battled the entire way and then only get beat a length and a quarter, you know, just kind of in the last sixteenth of a mile, I think he's going to be a lot thinner this time. Uh, and I think he could be very dangerous at a little bit of a price, but I, I think other than those top three, you know, if
1: you're playing our pick four, I think those are the three you want. But uh, I do, I do like uh, uh, promiscuous lad as my top pick in that race. All right. Well, again, an interesting rematch. That's one of the things I I like about state bred programs is you're more often comparing apples to apples because you've got to see these horses race against each other, and I think that, that that's a plus for a handicapper that you know zeroes in on a specific track well we come to the finale here on the stakes card and it's the organ his uh because there is no organ hers this year uh, we're stretching out a mile and a 16th and it looks like we may have another prohibitive favorite in here and jack the pirate what really caught my attention was uh, this horse's speed figures versus the rest of the field
0: yeah, I mean he's gonna be uh he's gonna be very tough. He's a horse that developed here last year. He made his career debut in the Bill Weinberg, you know, ran an okay fourth, came back in the Don Jackson Futurity and ran a pretty good third, and he was flying late in that race. And I think that kinda of hinted at some of his ability. Uh an interesting thing on him, he was claimed for seventy five hundred earlier this summer. And, uh, the next, he won by eight that day, or certainly won by six and a quarter that day, came back next time out for fifteen thousand, double the claiming price, and they, the people who were in his claim from claimed him back. They wanted him back that bad. Uh, Robert Clary, the owner, he bred the horse, and he knew that he was gonna have a really live horse for the Tom Two Stakes. Back on Labor Day, which he won by three and a quarter. This race here, and then there's also a Stallion Stakes for fifteen thousand. So uh, they really had a three-point plan with this horse, and uh, one of those plans was to uh, to win the uh, the Oregon His Stakes. Which you know, I there's just not much form outside of that horse. You know, a horse like Van Glorious, uh, a horse like. Uh, Captain not so sober. I can make some cases for them underneath. I just can't see him beating this horse. Uh he fared well at a distance of ground before. You can see an emerald in that fifteen thousand dollar race. He was drawn off late. Uh I, I I would he would be an absolute single for me. The pick four tomorrow I think is gonna be the better of the two bets, uh, for the extended, you know, the five and the six. Uh, because the seventh and eighth races, those starter handicaps are pretty wide open. I think you can go three deep in the at least a Sprint. But Jack the Pirate's an absolute single for me. Uh, you know, on, on these races.
1: And and the icing on the cake there, though he didn't win his last races, he does come up with with a trouble line uh, that he was checked at the three sixteenth marker. So he, you know, and, and run against
0: older horses with no conditions. I mean, it was a the sport of the horse that beat him is, is a pretty good horse for for, for up here. And so, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a
1: really big class drop here. You know, from going against older, open allowance horses to state bred, uh, it's a pretty big drop. Well, we were talking with Jason Beam up at uh, Portland Meadows. And, Jason, uh, probably only got about another minute or so here. I'm waiting for a signal from my producer. Um, you are have been doing a lot in your life and one of the things is that you're going to be an author uh coming up perhaps here in in the next month. The name of the book's gonna be Southbound. Can you give us a little peek into it and tell us how we get it?
0: Yeah, it's uh what well, we're thinking right now, the end of January is release time. They're still working on some of the editing uh stuff. It's a it's a big process. The publisher, you know, I I'm kinda of new to the whole thing and uh you know, I used to gamble way too much, and so I kind of cut cut uh, a lot of that out of my life, and what it was was it was kind of, I'd always had a fantasy to just say, you know what, screw work for a few months, I'm going to take all the money I got, I'm going to go down to California, and I'm going to play the horses, and it kind of became a way to play that fantasy out in a book, and uh, you know, there's a couple other stories that run along with that, but that's kind of the basic setup, you know, he falls in love with a horse down there, meets a girl, you know, the whole nine yards, but uh I kind of just worked on it with some writers here in town and they were really encouraging and, and some of them recommended a couple of publishers to contact and I did and one of them, uh, this uh, group in Austin, Texas called Panda Moon Publishing, uh, they liked it and they, they bought the book and we're, uh, we've been working on it the last couple of months, you know, kind of editing it and just tightening things up and again we're hoping for a late January release and I, I have a website, just jasonbeam.com
1: that's got the, all the book info on it. Okay. Well, my producer's saying we are over and out. So I thank you very much for your your time this evening, Jason, and I really appreciate you uh, every, everything you do and the insights that you give people up there at Portland Meadows. Anytime, John. Always good talking to you. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye.